The subject for the evening talk is the emptiness of finite existence. One of the things which is noticeable, hopefully, and uh, clearly apparent to us is when we are speaking about whatever we are speaking about, the, the words themselves can have quite different meanings for different people. And the responses which come to us may vary quite considerably. And it's though in our world that when we are engaged in listening, in thinking, in writing, and all of those activities of our constructed perceptions. The word means one thing sometimes at one time, and another time it means a little different or dramatically different. And one of the words which I have in mind here is the word present. And not a present, <laughs> rather the <laughs> the present and the way we view the present and it's quite usual for us to almost vary the width or the size of the present and that may vary quite considerably according to the way we've put the word the present in the sentence, in a framework with lots of other words. So, for example, and in these kind of teachings, one way that we can view the present is in a very strictly defined way of this particular moment. And in this particular moment, that is the present moment, and according to the experts, the scientists, the concentrated meditators and others, there is a great deal of subtlety to this particular moment. The more that we use <coughs> instruments in the scientific world, the more that the concentration power of the mind is focused on the particular, the more subtle the present can be. So the present can, as it were, break down from being quite gross uh, to less gross, to more subtle, to sensations, to subtlety within those sensations, to what is sometimes referred to in the Theravada tradition, though never spoken by the Buddha, to subatomic particles which is sometimes translated in the uh, uh, texts as kalapas, K-A-L-A-P-A-S, kalapas, subatomic particles. So one way of viewing the present is to, as it were, break down the world of matter, and with the meditator's mind, the matter is basically varying sensations, to probe into those sensations, it gets more and more subtle, and the mind does certainly have that power. And we see 
with, for example, the body awareness meditation, that at times the sense of solidity of the body, the formed body, appears and is directly experienced as much less solid than we project, than we imagine, and it breaks down to much more subtlety. And sometimes the construction of the picture of the body, the idea of the body, drops away, and one may have the sense loose temporarily, the sense of having a body, having a, a substantial physical form in the present. And power of mind certainly has that. Sometimes the present is expanded a bit further. That might that expansion of the use of present can be such that we call it, say, the present sitting. And therefore the present expanded a little bit further. Sometimes the present can include the present day. And of course it can include further the present time, meaning, say, the retreat. At the present time, I'm on a retreat. And the present year, the present decade, and as somebody uh, commented, the present lifetime. So this idea of present expands and contracts. And we might ask ourselves, which is correct, is there one present which is more valid than the other? So even the present, like sitting here and talking, and you uh, listening, hopefully, possibly, that in the activity we might call that the present. But that's an agreeable, possibly, agreeable present. And one could listen right through with concentration power, right through the listening, and the present would take a different kind of expression altogether. So, if the present is not something absolutely narrowly fixed, that consciousness sense of the present varies considerably, then there is no fixed present. There's no substantial present. Because the sense of what is present, of presence, really does vary considerably through perception, through experience, through sensation, through concentration of mind or lack of concentration of mind. So the present can't really be said to be something of itself. One of the things which we notice and observe with our contact with the present, we have to stop waving one, two fingers in the air now to keep putting it into quotation marks, having uh, spoken in that way at the beginning. One of the things which occurs in the relationship to what we call the present is that the present, which whatever it is, becomes familiar. If in your time here, and a week has uh, gone by, and you have settled into the situation, there's been an adjustment in the course of time, that rhythm of one day to the next establishes a familiarity with one's idea 
and one's interpretation of what the present is. It gets to be known, it gets familiar, this is the present. When that idea of what the present is, and I'm familiar with it, I've been here a, a week now, I know the routine, I know the cycle, I know the timetable, I know my mind, I know my form, and I know everybody else's mind, that when the days have gone by, and, the, and that idea of what the present is, is established in the mind, it gives the idea of knowing the present. Once the mind has got the habit, I know what the present is, I know the present, I'm familiar with it, that easily can be the signal for the loss of interest. I know what it is. When that loss of interest is there, what that is saying to us, in a way, is the present is finite, I'm not disputing it, the present is finite, it's inadequate for my interest, for my attention, because it's known, it's familiar, it isn't presenting any kind of challenge to me, this present, which I have, think I know. And when that occurs for us, the mind will want to move to something which is bigger than my idea of what the present is. It will never be satisfied with what is finite. And what human beings do is we are, as it were, whether we know it or not, on an endless journey for something bigger than what is. This endless quest of human beings, and it goes on here, and it goes on just the, the, the same in the rottenness of Wall Street and, uh, and the casino and wherever. It's all part of the same odd quest for something greater than what's present, than what is available. It takes perverted and distorted directions which we see, of course, spheres of influence, etc., etc., you know far better than I. But what that is saying is, I look at the present, it's finite, it's inadequate, it's not enough, therefore I want to seek out something which is bigger than it. Because that's the year human yearning for something greater. And of course, with that movement, away from my interpretation of the present, whatever it is, comes the tremendous opportunity which the future gives. It gives a degree of license to the mind which it can't have with the present. It's like a huge open vacuum, a huge space, so big that one can conveniently throw in anything into it, it never minds, it never complains, it doesn't come back or whatever, and it can just go on infinitely. So in a way we've made our Godhead the future. We have, in serious terms, adapted the formation of view, particularly of Western mind, particularly of our kind of mind, of um, an evolutionary model towards something bigger and better which is future 
Just the other day, I received a letter, I nearly wept when I read it, which is from uh, a Buddhist, and in this letter, a typewritten letter, um, sent out to a variety of teachers, uh, Dharma teachers and uh, centres in different parts of the world, and this letter says that the Buddha's teachings is basically a teaching which is in accordance with the nature of things, which is basically always towards something better. And, therefore, the Eightfold Path, the practices, the teachings, the emphasis, the direction, whatever it might be, is always towards something better. And since the teachings are in accordance with the nature of things, therefore the nature of things is always, is therefore towards something better. Where is the proof? Where is the indication of this? So, there's that view, I think it's not an unusual uh, view in our society, which is in quite some degree of contrast, firstly with human experience of things work out and things don't work out if you haven't forgotten and, and I think the genuine deeper teachings and in a way the more realistic ones which say events in this world rise and they fall and of course the Eastern tradition I don't want to uh, um, get involved or identified with that says in, uh, in, in its kind of cosmology that there have been a rise and fall of collapses, of generations, of uh, different worlds, on and on, rising and falling, rising and falling. And it's too much to believe, too much to claim that it's only rising, improving, and developing. And we only have to look at the, this uh, particular present century that we are living in and only the, the events of this particular year to have some doubt about whether human beings are really evolving judging from the <laughs> planet that we're living on if this is evolution God, what was it like before? <laughs> so there's these views which are formed but we often don't realise in personal terms, human terms, how much we are a prisoner to this and therefore the future becomes regarded in infinite terms with infinite potential, infinite possibility and my God we're going to try and get our thought to entertain ourselves in that. So, I think when it's of that order for us, it's a rebound, a backfire, a backlash in some way or other from the way that we are viewing what we call the present. And if the present appears finite and appears known, I think in the course of time one will get tired of the present. One has to. It's finite, it's limited, it's known, I've experienced it, and then I'll seek some way away from it. And yet, well, sometimes, as I was discussing with one person today, sometimes 
There is a situation of what I call the present. It's actually varying much more than what we acknowledge or recognize. And I ask myself, where, where is the challenge within the context of the present? What would it be to challenge my construction, my fixed idea of the present, that I find it inadequate? That I find that it's not giving, it's not providing, it's not challenging, it's not waking, it's not shaking me up. That I can get it so familiar that it becomes known, and when it becomes known it becomes um, finite. So the teachings is constantly saying, let's discover the emptiness of finite view, finite perception, finite existence. And even with the future, imagine that we, in, as infinite as we imagine it to be, obviously it's finite. It's finite because we keep being thrown back onto the present, which cuts the future off, makes it finite. The way we think about what we call the future is born out of what's going on with us here and now. So our idea of the future is no inherent existence, it's all what moves here, we call future. Where is it? Where is it? In the present, when we say it's known, it's familiar, it's not challenging, it's not whatever it might be. One of the things which occurs with that is the question of this one sense of the present, which is a very strong one, which arises, is the question of the form of the present. The present becomes the form. And when one is ex exposed to this uh, wretched timetable, morning, noon and night, it's not surprising that the time and the form registers itself strongly enough to reproduce in the mind. That's what the day consists of. The day consists of keeping with the form. At some point in all of the present is the keeping with the form, there will have to be some movement inside of oneself which says, let me get out of the form. The form is finite, it feels imprisoning in some way or other, and at some point in it, for some people, there's a wish, let me escape from it. Let me get out of the form. And the genuine sense is, it's not true, but the sense is that the form lies and the responsibility for it lies outside of oneself. It's as though one opens one's eyes and one opens ears and says, the truth is, there is the form going on around me. I can see those slow-walking meditators. There is the form going on around me and I am in the form this is what it is to be present. Now I want to get out of it. I want to get out of the form. Fortunately, so far, because we wouldn't want to speculate about uh, tomorrow, fortunately so far, getting out of the form hasn't meant racing to Newton Abbott Railway Station 
it does sometimes for some people and quite understandably. So sometimes one says, how can I get, I want to get out of the form. So the view is, the, work, the present is form. There's no truth in this, it's just a nice idea. The truth is, the present consists of form. I want to get out of it. So I look around and I see these wretched slow-walking meditators and they, in my perception of them, they impact on me. It means if I get out of the form, I can't be doing it properly because they're all in the form. Therefore, they become the form, the model, the yardstick, the criteria of what is correct. And if I step out of it, it's a judgment on myself. I can't do it. I can't really stay with the present. I'm not ready for it. And then one, what one will see with this view is the nightmare of slow-walking meditators. Of course one will. One will look out in the garden and say, God, they're walking slowly. The fact that there's only three doing it <laughs> It's completely forgotten. It's they are doing it. Where the rest are, one has no idea. <laughs> so this breaking out of the form easily generates the agitation the comparing, the judging, the loss of self-worth, uh, the approval and the elevation of other human beings. It sets up a gap, it sets up a conflict, and as it were, the crux of the duality, the movement back and forth is between form and no form. And this replays itself. But one's got to be carrying the notion that the present is form. One's got to believe in that's the truth, that's the essential reality, the essential message which is taking place in order to have a conflict. Got to have a fixed idea of what the present is. When we do that, it then sets up with us the comparing and judging of ourselves in relationship to other, other people, and various images become formed of other people and ourselves. This morning, in the uh, instructions from uh, Henrietta this morning, she mentioned and highlighted, and very appropriately, the necessity to have contact with the feelings about existence basically, with the feelings, with the emotions, with the events which are taking place. Emotions we use as the intensification of a feeling, whatever the form. So from the feeling which is subtle and refined to the one which can sometimes be dramatic or intense, from laughter and humour to uh, sorrow and sadness, whatever the expression, that in the range of larger emotions, shall we call it, or feelings, and the subtle ones there, 
the feelings as an essential factors of what our feelings are, are pleasant, unpleasant, or somewhere in between. In any human experience, no matter how subtle one gets that human experience, it will contain some semblance, some indication of a feeling. We often forget the feeling element in life through analysis, through uh, preoccupation with content, through uh, habit, through identification with thought and so forth. All of that can hide the opportunity to recognize where is the feeling in the moment? Where is the feeling in the experience? Where is the feeling in the thought? That sensation which is feeling member is either pleasant or it's unpleasant or it's somewhere between those two. So when we're bringing the feeling, and therefore going deeper into our being in a way, bringing the feeling out in our relationship to what we call the present, some of the feelings are appearing to be connected with other people. You will have had thoughts, images, ideas, uh, experiences, impressions of various people in here. Some of those feelings, of course, will stand out more clearly than others. Some you carried here before you arrived, in other words, you knew the person when you arrived, oh no, not again. And, <laughs> and others, you will say, oh wonderful, it's very nice to see uh, this person after ten years. And there'll be some feeling connection through uh, the response. But in many cases, of course, you uh, haven't seen each other before, haven't seen some of us before, and possibly in some cases, we, the future with the vast unknown, we don't know. So there's the feeling element. Feeling can be pleasant, unpleasant, or somewhere between. Sometimes the condition of a, another human being in the present time, for all manner of reasons, the vibration, shall we call it, without wishing to sound too new agey here, <coughs> dreadful word, vibration, and other whatever, registers, it touches an, a feeling, an unpleasant feeling, what it might be. Sometimes our actions, our speech, uh, what we do, or whatever, as it were, jars, rocks, or shakes a little bit, the sensitivities of another human being. So it generates, sometimes, we, all of us in our relationship with each other do this, we generate an unpleasant feeling from ourselves to another. In the moments of doing that, I would say, in awareness of fee feelings, which the tradition, the Buddha has spoken of many, 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 many occasions, great foundations of awareness, is the awareness of feelings. In the awareness of feelings, therefore we may experience that feeling in the present. The issue is not trying to get rid of the feeling, but what is it that's being, as it were, carried from the conditioning, from the past, from the childhood, as it were, or wherever, which disturbs that feeling enough to make an issue of the circumstance? <coughs> I can't get rid of 
that the fact that I might feel this way about somebody and that way about somebody and that will occur, or not feel strongly about somebody, that in-between feeling. But the influence from the past will be the fuel which excites it. It can generate in such a way that my present is shaped by that experience, by that sensation. So my present becomes obsessed, preoccupied in what seems like a finite way around something or around somebody, not because he or she or they have an inherent existence, but simply feeling and movement and a substantial present for me. So I may not get rid of the feeling about somebody, pleasant, unpleasant, or in between, but can I see where the charge goes? Can I see when that's occupying me so much that's all that I that I know in all of that that I'm caught up in it? I'm identified with it, I'm lost in it. It is one's present. Even in the strongest fantasy or strongest preoccupation, it, it is one's present. That's one's present. And that present, like the any other present, it's formed and it dissolves. As Henrietta was saying, rises and it falls. It comes and it goes. It, 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 it makes together and it dissolves. So the present is not something substantial or fixed, but it appears with the conditions. So, for example, if one person sitting here thinks, my goodness, it's uh, uh, Saturday evening, what am I doing sitting in here? And start, started to sing and dance in the uh, meditation room or whatever, what would happen to this agreed construction of the present? <laughs> It would, it would just, it would go, it would dissolve. There'd be completely something diff, apparently, different to this. And some people would then respond to a new formation of the present. Some people would regard it as a teaching. <laughs> Probably far more effective than listening to an evening Dharma talk. And other people would be thoroughly pissed off. And why is this person jumping up and down on my back? And, and the whole construction and formation agreed about what the present is would appear to be changed. So the stimulation of the event would generate a whole medley of different feelings. So we can't separate the world which we call the present, from our experience of it. We cannot separate the world, which we call the present, from our experience of it. We can't get our experience aside and know what the world is. Even though the scientists love to believe this, and every time they stick their eyeballs to the microscope, Basically, 
they're sticking their mind down that tube and it's running straight into the environment and they think they're detached from it. This is a huge self-deception. And then they come up with figures. M-E equals something or other. That's what life is. What? So, in our relationship, since we can't separate life from our experience of life, that's the two, the nature of things from our experience of the nature of things, where's the freedom? Where's the realization of the nature of things? When we look at and give care to the present, and this construction of it. We say, well, what's the relationship of the meditative processes to seeing the present clearly? So, in the participation which is taking place, what happens if we overstress the present? which I think, in the use of the way we speak here, is a, ought to be a significant concern of anybody. If we speak too much, be here and now, be here and now, if we identify as being here and now too much, I think the danger is we can get a kind of jaundiced view of the nature of things. Because what happens is, the movement of the desire, the movement of the effort, the movement of the mind, will be to try to fix the present. And not only to fix it, to keep it. I want to keep, we say to ourselves and each other, I want to keep in touch with the present. That's what I'm here for. It isn't, actually. Don't believe what we tell you. I want to keep in touch with the present. If one keeps in touch with the present, as one imagines it to be, at some time, one is going to be tired of keeping in touch with it. One is, want, is, one is going to want to go to somewhere else. It's human nature to want to go somewhere else. But the way that we go is to the past and future. That's tragic. That's to misunderstand, misperceive, misrealize things. So there's the relationship, what we call, being with the present, living with the present. If the present isn't constant, never mind past and future, isn't constant, isn't, doesn't have any substance to it, whole sense of the present isn't going to have any real consistency to it. 
How could you compare a present where there's just, your eyes are closed, you're sitting there completely forgetful of everything else that's going on, and there's just some warm sensation popping out of the elbow. With some other experience where the mind is feeling ferociously negative to the rest of life, to everything that's going on around, to the experience of just um, analysing this, that and the other to try to get an answer. How can one honestly say that the present remains the same? That it, it is something? That it stays just as it is? In such multiplicity, such variety, how can one fix it? And then say, I know what the present is. Not necessarily in language, but in reaction. I'm, I'm familiar with the present. Then I'll escape to the past or future. We never touch the present. We never get, we never get warm to it. And if we think we've got it, it's like sand in the hand, water through the fingers. It doesn't have anything to it, therefore I call it the emptiness of finite existence. It doesn't have anything to it unless we give it that character. We have to give it it to make it. So one wonders, is really in the mystery of things there any real difference between past, present and future? Is the relationship to it truly different? Is the relationship when you're thinking about the past any different from thinking about the future? Any different from thinking about the present? There, there, it's an idea upon which the mind can build its movement. But if I can't really know this present, I can't really get my hands on a fixed present. What am I going to build on? If I'm not building, I'm not forming. If I'm not forming, I'm not dissolving. And if we were to say, as some foolish spiritual New Age wallers have said from time to time, um, everything is a creation of our mind. That's going over the top. That is extremism par excellence. If it was all a creation of a mind, if we just created everything, how come there's an uncanny amount of 
agreement that this is hair. This is a jumper. This is a hand. This is a voice. This is a word. This is a movement. This is colour. This is sound. It's all just mind creation. So there's an idea of the present, past and future. Upon that, it requires that as a kind of support for building. But if I can't find a support, then what's going to happen to my building? And I would say, first let's explore that. Let's sense that. And know the thoughts will come in and say, if, I, if, there's, if there's nothing which is formed, nothing which is finite, nothing which is essentially constructed, because one's seen the purposelessness of that, the emptiness of that, the thoughts will come in and say, well, I couldn't function. I can't do, I can't do anything unless I have, there is the present which I've got to do something with. Therefore, I've got to keep my idea going that the present is something which I can relate to and think about in order to get my future. So I say, have faith. Have faith in not being able to get one's hands on the present. Sense that first. Sense that we can't manage it, coordinate it, control it, scheme it, fix it, hold it, make it, establish it. We cannot do it. No matter how much self, I, me, we want to do it, it does, life doesn't cooperate like that. Therefore I say it's the saving grace that we can't get our hands on the present. And I think there's a real, real, something really rather awesome, rather wonderful about it. I can't get anything fixed. If I can't fix the present, what hope is there to fix the future? And surely that's teaching. And if I can't fix these things, and I realize that, I genuinely realize that, I genuinely underst understand that I'm a free human being. I'm free from it. And then, what do I do? I go on living my day. Living out the present. Living with the form. Living in the form, out the form, through the form. Beside the form. Whatever. But I'm not fooled by it. I go on talking about the present, talking about the here and now, talking about the past, talking about the future. But I'm not deceived by it. And that seeing the emptiness of that is genuinely liberating. And not being deceived by it, not being imprisoned in the idea of form, it's What's the response going to be? Feeling response will must be joyful. Because one is free. Therefore, form and no form, being in the form, being out of the form, one cannot see the difference. 
cannot even feel the difference. Because that isn't the present. That's why it's liberating. So, life is an everlasting mystery. So let's taste of it. May all beings live with the nature of things. May all beings realize that things are not as they appear. May all beings realize that they are not otherwise either. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes, shall we? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.